Welcome to the Design Build Institute of America's Design Build Delivers podcast. I'm Kim Wright at DBIA's National Headquarters. As we gladly put 2020 in our rearview mirrors and look ahead to the new year, DBIA wanted to take some time to let you know what we're seeing on both the federal and state level impacting design build. Legislatively, 2020 was not surprisingly a challenge as COVID and its economic impacts dominated much of our national discourse. But what will this year hold? Today, we talk to Lewis Jenny, DBIA's Vice President of Advocacy and Industry Engagement, and Richard Thomas, DBIA's Director of State and Local Legislative Affairs, about the design-build legislative landscape for 2021. Thank you to Richard and Lewis for joining us. Lewis, let's start with the federal side. Um, there are a number of things out there that we need to talk about today. Obviously, infrastructure investment is the big one. But first, there are always like pieces of legislation out there on the federal side that are important to uh, the AEC industry and design bills particularly. What are some of the things that, that you'll be watching uh, on the federal side? Well, we had two bills last year. Um, one of them was the uh, VA... Veterans Affairs Design Bill Construction Act. And another one was a State Department bill. Uh, it was actually rolled into a larger foreign aid um, or State Department reauthorization bill. And they would, they would, they did very similar things. They would encourage the VA to use design bill, not mandate it. We don't want that. We want to mandate design bill, but we would encourage them. And the other one would encourage State Department to use uh, design bill for um, building embassies and overseas facilities. Um, they actually both moved through the house last year. One of them moved through the house twice. Um, and so we're gonna be sort of looking to see if the committees are interested in doing that again. The folks behind um, the State Department bill, that particular chairman uh, moved on. So we just sort of have to see if they're gonna be interested in doing that again. You know, we're always looking at, this will be later in the year, always want to keep an eye on the National Defense Authorization Act, just because that's a bill that always becomes law. And they do a lot of procurement policy stuff in it. Um, so there's always interesting things um, that there's always possibilities for interesting things coming up in there. Um, you know, this year, there was actually a bill that got moved through that that we've been working on with some coalition partners, just bans reverse auctions for design and construction work. Um, it's a little bit of a down in the weeds issue, but we always want to keep an eye on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, you know, and then you move into things like hoping and encouraging that they have just sort of a normal appropriations process, you know, not doing these appropriations bills all, you know, in five minutes at the end of the year. Imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, just because, you know, the money that comes through this process, um, you know, for the Corps of Engineers, GSA, it's just much better if they're they're, they're having a normal they a normal appropriations process. They can just plan better that way. They can sort of see what's coming, rather especially than, for you know, project management. I would think, right? How do you yeah, start exactly. the project if you don't know how much money you have? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And you know. It's become common that they have to do these short little, what they call continuing resolutions to give them a little more time. But when they do them for weeks and months on end, that's just not good for anybody. They just have a hard time. Um, they just have a hard time 
planning. They just have a hard time seeing what's coming up. Um, and then we, we also work with various coalitions on bills that aren't exactly our issues, you know, but are in the AEC space that we lend a hand on, we want to be supportive of and things like that. And um, we're about, actually about to meet up with some of our coalition partners to kind of figure out what might be in there and what might not. Not something, again, that is directly design build, but um, is something we, we would be supportive of and, and, and lend our hand to. Yeah, I think this is going to be a lot of uh, regrouping for everybody in the next few weeks, given the uh, political environment on the Hill has changed so much. Um, I think that's probably going to impact everything we talk about for the next however long, yeah. um, which, of course, segues right into the, the, the 10 ton gorilla, which is um, infrastructure investment. You know, the vast majority of Americans have supported infrastructure investment for, for a decade, and yet everybody talks about it, and we still can't ever get a bill. Um, I, there's about a million things to talk about in regard to that. Um, in this environment, given what we know now, there's again talk of another infrastructure investment bill. Do you think that's potentially um, just not another tease? Is it potentially could even happen? I think our chances are, are higher than they have been. Um, I mean, the vice president or the president-elect has made a center piece of his campaign, Build Back Better. And he was talking about infrastructure um, investment when he did that. Um, and now that the, the Hill, even though Congress is only narrowly, there's only narrow majorities in the same party as the, as the president-elect, that just makes things easier. Like they're just gonna be able to do it. It's going to be hard to thread that needle, though, because uh, because they are so narrow. The House of Representatives is very narrow. The Senate could not be more narrow, um, and so it means that the they're just going to have to thread that needle. And we're just going to have to see if the Republicans, the other, the minority party, is going to want to play along because we still have the filibuster in the Senate, um, so the filibuster to deal with one way or another. Um, and it's just, you know, they're all, they're committed to it and they want to see it happen. There's plenty of Republican members who want to see infrastructure investment too. Um, but it always comes down to the same thing. How do you pay for it? How do you pay for it? How do you pay for it? You know, and that's where people can't agree. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to raise taxes or they don't, or they all want to be able to hold hands and jump at the same time. And um, there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of lack of a better word. There's just not a lot of trust. Um, but all of the players, you know, are experienced legislators um, and know how to make deals when they need to. So I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hold that to you? Hold you to that? <laughs> optimistic. Um, yeah, I'm 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 optimistic. I, I think the dollar amounts are very much in question. You know, if we're talking about you know, they passed a two trillion dollar thing out of the house last year. Uh, I, I would be surprised if it's anything like that. But um, you, you know, it, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. That it, I, I'm optimistic. Right. Well, I think that's probably that's probably a reasonable place to be sitting right now, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, thinking it through too, you know, over the 
as we get into the January period, I was thinking, you know, COVID obviously impacts every single thing um, we do and certainly what you guys do um, on the state level. Richard's been having to deal with sessions that started and stopped and didn't happen and, and all of that. And then, you know, on the federal level, obviously everybody's distracted because we're trying to deal with an, an international pandemic. Um, so then I'm thinking, well, how is that going to impact Number one, the concern about the fund, you know, how do we fund an infrastructure investment? But then again, you know, we have a history of um, from the AA, you know, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act during the last economic collapse where infrastructure was used for that purpose. So I, I wonder from both a federal and a state perspective, does that provide actually maybe sure COVID and the economic situations are a distraction, but on the other hand, it's an opportunity to invest back in communities in a way that we already needed anyway. Yeah, I mean, we, let's remember too that um, Joe Biden ran the Recovery Act, he administered it for lack of a better word, uh, back in the beginning of the Obama, Obama administration. He was put in charge of it. And I think it's largely something that was seen that worked. Um, obviously there's always some exceptions and things like that but it's something that worked. It was good for design build. Richard knows this better than I. Um, expanded the use of design build for shovel, you know, get shovel ready projects going. We've already been communicating with the transition about that. Um, I think they, I think they get it, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, you hate to say that it's an opportunity, that a pandemic is an opportunity, but it does give it motivates. I mean, it's, it's, it is an emergency, you know, and so things have to happen. Um, and I think that they get that, get people back to work, stimulate the economy, but also just an investment for generations to come. And that's a good thing. And, and again, you know, you said it, Kim, yourself right at the beginning, like everybody says they want it. And it's true. I mean, you talk to both sides of the aisle. I talked to both sides of the aisle, both parties. They want to do this. They know they need to do this. It's just, leadership and threading the needle, leadership and threading the needle. From a state perspective, Richard, I mean, there's certainly a clamoring for, for this type of investment because the states are hurting right now. Absolutely. And in fact, that's, that financing is gonna probably be one of the biggest issues coming into the session. As everybody knows, 2020 was a, was a really challenging year, uh, primarily because of, uh, of the COVID pandemic. Uh, most of the sessions, you know, are those states that had short legislative sessions, they took care of their business. And, uh, but a lot of those sessions were truncated. And so basically everything fell by the wayside except for COVID related and budget related items. And state and local governments have, um, they're really in uh, bad financial shape right now. You know, a lot of their budgets are dependent upon, uh, you know, property and sales taxes, which went away during uh, COVID. So I think um, that's probably going to be one of the biggest focuses. Uh, you know, states are going to be looking at alternative ways to finance projects. So I think we're going to probably see an uptick in P3 bills, which had kind of uh, cooled down uh, over the last two years. I think we're going to see probably more bonding uh, and uh, lease back. And all of these things are, um, are opportunities in, in a sense, because it's, uh, 
Uh, these are all things that are well suited uh, for design build, those type of programs. And, and, you know, to kind of piggyback on what Lewis said, there's going to be a lot of pressure, especially now with the, with the Senate flipping. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from uh, state and local governments to, to do some sort of stimulus bill or infrastructure bill uh, to help them get through, to get through this hump. The transportation side won't be impacted as much because they do have user fees that kind of cushion that. They're not dependent upon sales and property tax. But uh, I think you're gonna see, a, that's gonna be a big focus. Well, and that's interesting too, because I would think that <clears throat> getting that kind of pressure from your grassroots, um, your state, your local, your county, the people who are feeling it what might actually provide a little bit, little bit of push too. And I, like you said, there's got to be incentive to do that now. Give that push. Right. But, and, and I think it's going to be done in a, in a bipartisan manner too. Uh, roads and bridges and transit systems are not Democratic or Republican. All these states are, are basically in the same boat. So uh, I think... You know, and, and Lewis would know better than this, but I think also, too, with when you look at how close the the numbers are in both the House and the Senate, I think it is going to kind of compel them to work together more if they want to get anything done. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be very surprising um, because because of the narrow numbers, they sort of know they they have to work together. And as I said before, the people who are running, people who are top of these things have been doing this for decades. They know how to do it. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the politics plays out and it's not clear yet where that's all going to land. But, you know, they're in a 50-50 Senate, they have to work together to get anything done. Right. Um, and it'll just be interesting. And yeah, and I think, you know, sort of what Richard was talking about, I think that there is a better chance now that we could see some real federal support for state and local governments and state and, and the, you know, the departments of transportation and the local transit authorities, things like that. Something that they've been pushing for for quite a while. Uh, they've gotten some, but I think there's still the sense that they need more. Um, but then it's, it's, again, how do you pay for it? You know, how much deficit spending are we going to do? How much is too much? Um, and, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, there's just a lot of issues that are going to be coming at the new administration and the new Congress real fast. Well, and I, I, okay. oh, go, no, go ahead, Richard. I was going to say one challenge we have at the state level is state governments have to balance their budgets every year. So we don't have a luxury of putting it on the credit card. So we are going to have, it is going to compel us to, uh, both Democrats and Republicans to come up with some solutions to how to how to deal with that. They are focused. I mean, I, you know, I work with the organizations here in town that represent state and local governments and things like that, and they are focused on this. I mean, they are all about getting the support and delivering that message. It's just, it's just sometimes it, it sometimes gets lost just because there's so many people and there's so many dollars and I think there are some people, um, there definitely are some people who are just worried about the deficit spending um, and, and, and you know, you just have to get across the fact that this is a huge emergency 
And, you know, the argument is we, we have this important talent. If you want to build that infrastructure, you got to retain the talent, the know-how that is currently there. You can't, that's the way it gets done better. So if DOTs or whatever start having to lay off people, it just makes it that much more difficult when they, to build back better. It just makes it that much more difficult if, the, you know, people you know, people have been retiring or being laid off and you have to start from scratch. And um, I think that argument, I, I think people in Capitol Hill hear that argument. Let's just put it that way. You know, we went through a, um, a stretch of time early in the Trump administration when the infrastructure again, as it tends to do, rears its head as if it's going to be a thing um, in collecting you know, shovel ready projects and making sure that we're ready to really, if that money comes through, that we're ready to put it, um, put it to use. And, you know, for design builders, that's particularly exciting because that's the nature of what we do. I mean, we, you know, and we can turn around those projects, you know, quicker and more efficiently. And um, do, is it, is it likely we're going to see that whole cycle again, where there's a push for, you know, start getting, I mean, how do states, how do, how do entities like DOTs, how do they get ready for the potential that this could happen again? Um. Well, I, I, a couple things. I mean, one, typically um, most states, uh, what we saw over the summer with, you know, with, with COVID is some projects were shelved. Uh, some projects, one of the, actually one of the benefits of COVID, at least in the transportation side, was it made it easier to do projects because there was less traffic. They could, so, uh, there were some efficiencies there, but, uh, you know, for a lot of states that had budget issues, they just shelved those projects. So they didn't go away. Uh, and I think one of the things that we're really emphasizing at the, uh, the federal level, uh, especially for those states that are kind of new to the game, is that design build can really position you well in that scenario. We know in the last... Uh, the last two stimulus bills that there was a premium put on uh, having projects that were shovel ready. And folks know, I mean, there were, there were, there were states that changed their procurement just in order to, to position themselves that way. And I, and I think you're going to continue to see that. I also think that could be an opportunity for progressive design build. Because as you know, with, you know, with qualifications based selection, uh, the procurement time is much shorter. I mean, they can start as soon as they have a contract. Uh, so I think that is one of the things that uh, could, you know, will also continue to stimulate uh, interest in design build and progressive design build in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting because I mean, at DBIA, we've certain already, certainly already talked about, you know, the need to, to get teams ready. I mean, you know, this, this is an incredibly challenging period. Um, but we all know that with challenges come opportunities, right? So if, if you're going to be able to access these, if these projects do in fact are able to get started again, restarted, like Richard said, from the COVID pauses, and we have new projects and coming to the pipeline because there's more investment, um, there's no better time to make sure that you've got your, your design build teams ready to go than now, I would think. Um, tell me a little bit about, do we know... Pete judge was a an Indiana mayor. I would think to some degree that might be you know an interesting nexus as far as he understands more from the 
the grassroots local level. He's not a federal transportation guy. Do we have any sense um, of what his priorities are vis-a-vis -vis in, uh, infrastructure investment? I don't, I don't know that, well, I mean, his priorities will be the president's. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, think to, I think to to answer your first question, you know, and this was something Lewis and I talked about right after. I, I, I'm excited about it. I, and for this reason. Um, one, he's a very high profile candidate. This, this man would not take this job if he thought it was a dead end job. And I think that, and I could be wrong, but I, I think transportation will be a priority with uh, the new administration. Where I, th where I like uh, uh, Budicic's uh, background is, one, you know, local government is one of the key, you know, it's one of the legs of the stool in, in transportation. You know, local governments, state governments, federal governments, you know, all of their funding goes into a project. There's no project that just has one funding source. And as a mayor, you get that. Uh, as a mayor, you, infrastructure is something you deal with every day. Now, he wasn't letting, you know, half a billion dollar projects, but, you know, for, for a mayor, uh, a 10 or $20 million project is probably just as important as that you know, and, and I think as a mayor, um, people don't send you an email. They call up, they show up, you know, he, he hears firsthand what's, what a lot of those issues and what are those players with. So and I think he's a smart guy. I mean, and uh, everything I've been hearing, in fact, I, I, I was talking yesterday to a couple individuals that are on the short list for the number two job and we're, and, you know, he's got some great people that were also, you know, on the professional side, engineers and all that, that were looked at for this job, too, that are going to be part of this administration. So he's got, I think he's going to put together a great team. Yeah, I mean, when it was first announced, a lot of people I was talking to were like, you know, transportation, blue jobs, like, okay. Um, but then I think when people thought about it more, they're like, he is, he's, he's, a, he's a really good communicator like he is able to uh just communicate complex things very very well and that's how we jump from being a, a mayor to being one of the primary presidential candidates like that um you know he's very young and you know so i think to the extent that the transportation secretary sort of has to be an advocate well is an advocate for their own department in funding um I think people are excited about that now. Like they just like the idea that he's going to be a high profile guy, not just somebody, you know, um, and, and cause one of the other things we have on the plate this year is a reauthorization of the highway, of the highway bill. They only did a one year reauthorization last year, um, which goes back to what I was saying, you know, consistent funding. We would like to see a full five year funding of that bill this year when it, comes up in September. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he's just going to be able to do that. He also just, as Richard was alluding to, he's also, because he is, he's a smart guy and he's a devoted guy, he sort of attracts talent too. So um, I'm again, 
Optimistic? <laughs> With a question mark? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I think we can guarantee there will be, I think we can guarantee there'll be an increase in Amtrak funding. Oh, yeah. Good point. Right. <laughs> right. People, will, people will start finding out that we actually do have a rail system. And the, yeah, <laughs> Well, the one thing we haven't talked about yet, Richard, let's dig into a little bit of our priorities on the state level. Um, I know we've got several states and, and again, you know, COVID is still unfortunately impacting a lot of that work. But um, what are some of the top level, your top priorities right now for going into this 2021 cycle? Well, one, we still have unfinished work. We have, we have about 40 bills that uh, are either carried over or pre-filed. Uh, you know, we had have, we have thought with an election and with COVID that there would be fewer bills. That has not been the case at all. Uh, COVID will be the biggest challenge, just the logistics to get around. But, you know, we're all in that same boat, so it is what it is, and we're going to make the best of it. Um, I don't expect... You know, the election was pretty much a status quo. We did not have any states that flipped. So we don't have a lot of changes. There were some leadership changes. So I, I don't expect a lot of major changes. Um, I think there are a few states that have been hot spots in the last few years. Uh, New York, New Jersey, California, um, uh, Florida. They're going to continue we know we're going to have legislation. We already have pre-filed bills in those. There's some in particular. I'm, uh, there's a bill in Florida. Um, we're watching really close because we have a lot of bills that are that are dealing with the same sections of the law that Design Build is in. So we have to be very, very um, careful what happens there. Um, I think that. Uh, Looking at our priorities, I, I think we're going to continue to uh, make progress in New York. Our goal is to have uh, full, full authority for design build. Most state agencies, after last year's uh, session, now have it. There's still a gap between local governments. And, and also the major hurdle there, we have, uh, uh, we have a sunset for design build authority that expires next year. So I think it's important for us to make the case this year that design build is working in New York and we should continue it. Uh, we have several bills in New, in New Jersey, as we always do. Uh, the, the only difference though is this year is, is they're actually moving. Um, we do, uh, there is a major design build bill. It didn't get through the session last year, it, but, it, but it progressed farther than it ever has. Uh, which would be, it'd be a comprehensive bill for all agencies. Uh, and that bill's carried over, so we're continuing uh, to work on that. Uh, I think um, there's already, I think there's a, there's a really interesting bill in Washington that uh, has major sections dealing solely with risk within design build. And what I think is interesting about this is Washington does things a little bit different. They actually have a design build commission that goes through and looks at all these projects. So everything they do in Washington is by a consensus of the industry. So they've actually become over the last few years kind of a kind of an innovator in that in that regard. So that's one we're going to watch um, really close. Um, 
we're going to be on the defense in uh, Iowa and likely Wisconsin as well. One of the challenges I keep telling folks is getting design build authority is only half the game. The other half is keeping it because there's always going to be folks that, you know, want to cut out, uh, you know, little market niches and things like that. So, you know, we have to watch that. Uh, in Iowa and Wisconsin, we were able to put those bills aside. They were blocked those last year. This year, um, I'm optimistic about Wisconsin just because the Democrats and Republicans are fighting now. Uh, Iowa is going to be a challenge. Uh, our uh, The election didn't go well for us there. So we're, we're going to be fighting to preserve uh, authority. Um, and I think the other thing, too, that we've talked about is... Um, progressive design build. States are very, very interested. Just in the last week, I've been on the phone with five DOTs, and they're all interested in looking at potentially uh, uh, doing design uh, progressive design build bills. I think the challenge there is um, with progressive design building, the laws kind of fall into five buckets. You have those states that allow uh, qualifications-based selection, so boom, you can just go ahead and do it. Then you have uh, states that um, that have QBS and allow negotiations, so they're supportive, so they could work within that. Then you have another bucket that they could do progressive design build as long as there is some sort of, uh, you know, cost component of it. And then you have uh, uh, a bucket of states that their laws are written so black and white. Some of them are very progressive. Arizona is one of these. Mm -hmm. They have probably the most detailed design build CMAR uh, job order contracting. But it's so narrow for each one that it doesn't allow progressive. So that's they're one of those states that are actually there that are looking at progressive. And then you have those states that just you know, you can't do it at all. So I think a lot of states are really, they're starting to go through the process of trying to figure out, well, geez, can we actually do this? And uh, so the one thing I tell folks, if you're interested in progressive design build legislation, it might not say progressive design build legislation. There's only one state in the country where it actually says progressive design build. Legislation. Right. Don't, don't get trapped on the terminology. So look at the concept ask yourself, what is progressive design build? And look for those elements. And, and we're helping the DOTs along with that. So I would expect that we'll probably have two, three, four states that tweak their, uh, that tweak their laws to, to allow that. And that's, I mean, and that's interesting because that definitely shows the, the arc that we're seeing in interest across you know, all sectors and in just a new way, a new flavor it's design build, but it's a, another flavor of design build, which is actually one of our strengths, right? That there are so many ways you can build. Abs build. Absolutely. And I, and I think we have to tell people, you got to stop looking at this. This is not a new delivery method. It's design build. It's just a different way of doing it. And, um, and, and, and actually, in some states, too, it may be easier to tweak the CMAR law to get progressive design build. So we can't get caught up in that. And, and I think the... Um, I think the good news there is, uh, you know, states are taking the look, and and I think we're 
our incoming president, Jeff Newmeyer, has nailed it. You shouldn't be asking so much if you can do it, but why you want to do it. Because if, if you want to do progressive design build, you can probably find a way to do it, you know, within your existing law. You know, the key thing is you want to be doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it because you're trying to get a project $50 million less than that's probably not going to work out for you. Yeah. And then it's incumbent upon us to train people so they can do it right. Same, same exact drill we face with, with, with every piece of design build. All right. You guys are going to hate me for asking this, but cause I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but if you think about 2021, how, what, what, are, how are you feeling about 2021? You can either give me an adjective or a phrase. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to limit you that way, but looking ahead to 2021, how are you feeling? Um, at this point, I'm, oh, See, cautiously I optimistic. Yeah, I was, I was going to, I was going to say the cautiously optimistic thing too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people want to get things done. I think there's a pent up demand to get things done. I mean, you can sit there and focus on, yeah, but what about this? Oh, you know, and all the, and all the roadblocks, but people want to get things done. There's just a pent up demand and there's such a need. Um, cautiously optimistic. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, right? Well, and, and I think Kim that at least for for state and local, we all we know every year coming into the legislative sessions that twenty five percent of it is unknowns. You know, you that you you just cannot plan for specifically. So you try to plan for maybe two or three different scenarios for the same situation, and you have to be really flexible. I mean, I, I think our big thing is is and loose touch on we work in a very bipartisan manner you know we try to you know we try if you put all your eggs in one basket that's eventually the basket's going to get tipped over and you know so we really try to uh, sell design build and stay out of the the politics of it you know and uh, I think considering all the things that have happened and I think the just the political environment, I think there is a hunger to, to really try to get something meaningful done. So we'll- Makes sense. We'll see how long that holds. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll circle back around in six months and see. Sure. <laughs> well, it's an exciting time certainly to be a, a, an advocate and in that legislative sphere, no doubt about it. So good luck to you guys. And we're gonna cross our fingers on and be cautiously optimistic. Right? Yep, that's Absolutely. it. If you'd like to be a design build advocate, please reach out to your DBIA chapter or region and join our grassroots advocacy teams. To learn more about DBIA's advocacy efforts or download our legislative resources, go to our website at dbia.org/advocacy. slash